I wanna share with you um, just a little bit of spiritual truth from a quite profound theological work here for just a minute, if you would indulge me as I read for you just a snippet of from Dr. Seuss, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, if you would please. It begins this way. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not. The Grinch hated Christmas, the whole Christmas season. Now please don't ask why, no one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. Do you ever feel like the Grinch? That your heart is two sizes too small? I'm reminded in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet tells us that the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. And even as a Christian, as a pastor, far too often I feel that Grinch inside of me and it is a reminder that my heart needs changing. I need to grow in my love for the Lord and in my love for other people that my heart needs to be transformed. It needs to be sanctified. But how? How does this work? This morning, as we continue our series here in our doctrinal statement, we're taking a look at what our statement of faith says about the Christian life, really. How should we then live What is this thing that we call sanctification? If you remember a few weeks ago when we looked at what our doctrinal statement says about the gospel, I told you that salvation really has to it three phases, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification, which is what we talked about a few weeks ago, is the work of God through which Jesus has already saved us from the penalty of our sin. Sanctification, what we're going to talk about this morning, is that work of God by which Jesus continually saves us from the power of sin in our life. And glorification, what we'll talk about next week is that work of God by which Jesus will one day come and save us from the very presence of sin. But this morning, we're gonna talk about that second phase of salvation, what theologians call sanctification. The question uh, Francis Schaeffer famously asked, how should we then live? Because we have been saved, because we have been justified, how should we then live the Christian life? I want to invite you to open your Bible to Romans chapter 12 as we take a look at two verses this morning. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and they're on your outline as you're turning to Romans chapter 12. You can do, uh, notice that we're going to look at three things together this morning as we've been doing throughout this entire series. We're going to look at the text. We're going to look at the theology, what our doctrinal statement here at Grace says about the Christian life. And then we'll talk about the takeaway, the so what, what difference does it make, why should I care? So let me read for you beginning, number one on your outline, the text, beginning with Romans 12, verses one and two. I'll read the entire passage for you and then we'll break it down. 
Paul says here in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, therefore I urge you brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. There's a couple things I want you to see here in just the opening of Romans chapter 12, verse one. Notice first that Paul is addressing Christians. He says there in verse one, therefore I urge you, brethren. He's talking to the brothers and sisters, the believers there in the church in Rome. Again, justification follows sanctification, or uh, sanctification follows justification. He's writing to people who have already been saved. The penalty of sin for them, they've already trusted in Jesus for their salvation. And so before we go any further in this message, I wanna open it up to you. Have you trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Are you here this morning in this room watching online? Are you justified? Are you declared righteous in the eyes of God? And the only way this happens is when you put your faith in him, when you put your trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you've not done that, I'd invite you right where you are to trust in him. But Paul here in Romans 12, he's writing to those who have already trusted in Jesus for their justification and now he's urging them, notice. Paul is writing to these people, he says, I urge you, brethren, The word for urge really does mean to beg, to implore, to appeal with all of his might. So he's talking to this people who have been saved and now he's begging them, he's imploring them, he's urging them, notice, because of the mercy of God. In light of what God has already done because of the mercy he has given you in this life, in your justification. Paul says, I'm now urging you, I'm begging you, I'm imploring with you to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Paul here is using the language, the imagery of sacrifice. You know that in the Old Testament, uh, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, they had to offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And here Paul is saying, I'm urging you not to offer an animal sacrifice. I'm urging you to sacrifice yourself, everything you are, everything you do, to offer your life as a living sacrifice. And notice he goes on to describe this sacrifice, us offering ourselves to God. He says this is a holy sacrifice. It's set apart for him, designed only for him. And he says it's acceptable or pleasing to God. Paul's begging the believers, the brothers and sisters there in Rome to offer their lives, everything they are, as a living sacrifice to God. And then notice he says, this is your spiritual service of worship. 
laying down your life, offering a sacrifice, he says, is your spiritual service of worship. This phrase is found in Greek philosophy to describe something that's reasonable, logical, or a necessary conclusion of. So if you follow follow Paul's thinking, he's saying, listen, again, because of the mercies of God, in light of everything God has done for you in Jesus in saving you, it's only reasonable, it's only logical, it's the necessary conclusion that you would then present your life as an offering back to him. It just makes sense. This is what you should do. So Paul is begging, he's pleading with the believers there in Rome to do just that. And then in verse two, he goes on to explain and elaborate on a little bit what this looks like in real life. He says there in verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Two commands here, do not be conformed. Instead, command number two, be transformed. The first command, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. The word here for conformed is used to describe the process of pressing something into a mold. So in this day, for example, if you were making a coin, you would melt the silver until it becomes malleable and you would press that into a mold and then now suddenly the coin will take on the image, the likeness of the mold. And Paul here is saying, listen, do not be conformed to the image of this world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its image. A couple things I want to explain just to be clear. Number one is I want you to notice Paul does not say that the enemy is the people of the world. But what we need to be aware of is not being pressed into the image of the world. I reminded you of this last week, but this is so important for you to understand. Uh, We have a spiritual enemy, but we don't do battle against people who don't think like us, who don't live like us, who don't believe uh, in Jesus like us. They are not the enemy. And what Paul is really talking about here is we do have an enemy in the fallen world. And that Satan is the prince and the power of the air. And that there are certain things about living in this fallen world we need to be very careful of that we're not squeezed into the image and the mold of the world. So the second thing I really have for you here from this is really an application question. And this is gonna look different for each and every person in here. But a question I'd love for you to think through is how are you susceptible to being conformed to the image of the world? And for each person in this room, it might look a little bit different. There may be certain things that influence you more than they influence me. But make no mistake about it, it's sneaky, it's subtle, we have to be careful. Uh, Just this week on Monday, I was driving home and I had a, a playlist playing in my car. It was really in the background more than anything else. It was a playlist put together by Apple. I just selected one and started listening to it. And uh, it was music from the 2000s. And uh, suddenly, like, I kind of came to and realized uh, that the song that was being played was a Katy Perry song. And um, I've, I've never really listened to Katy Perry. It's just never been my cup of tea. But um, I, I started actually paying attention to the lyrics. And I thought, man, this is, 
this is horrible, quite honestly. Um, the music is fun, it's catchy, it draws you in, but I don't think she's actually talking about a birthday party. And uh, if you don't know the song, don't Google it. You might lose your salvation if you do. Um, not really, but it's not worth Googling. Um, but my point is, man, it's so subtle, right? Um, it comes across in the music we listen to, the, movie, the movies we watch, whatever, um, but the deception of the world can sneak in without us even realizing it. And again, maybe for you it's not music or movies, maybe it's something else. That's for you and, and your relationship between the Lord. But a great point of application is how are you being squeezed into the image and likeness of the world? Paul says, do not be conformed to the world. Instead, be transformed. Transformed. The word for transformed here is a beautiful word. It really describes an inner change that manifests itself outwardly. It begins on the inside, but it doesn't stay on the inside. It also changes how we live on the outside. And it really begins with this inner spiritual change of the Holy Spirit, but it impacts the way that we live. It shows itself on the outside. And the second thing about this word transformed is that really it's a process. It's not a one and done kind of thing. It's something we need to be mindful of and intentional of every single day of our life. How are we being transformed into ultimately the image of Christ? So what Paul here is really presenting in Romans 12 is a contrast, two ways of living, you could say. Being conformed to the fallen, broken image of the world or being transformed into the image of Christ. And then notice how this transformation takes place. Notice what Paul says there in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, notice, by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul here in Romans 12 says that transformation begins with a renewing of the mind. And again, a necessary question is, what are we putting into our minds? Doug Moo, a really smart professor at Wheaton College, he says, when we change the way we think, we change the way we live. And the key question becomes, what are we feeding into our minds? Again, that's a great application question for you. Uh, what are you putting into your mind? Transformation here, Romans 12:2, Paul says, transformation begins with the renewing of the mind. What are we putting in our mind? It's ultimately gonna come out in the way that we live. And then notice Paul says, why is this so important? So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. If we want to live our life, this living sacrifice, if we want to live our life in conformity to the will of God, it really begins with a transformation of the mind. Transformed thinking leads to transformed living, leads ultimately to transformed desires. God will even change our desire and what we want and to be in conformity to the will of God, not our own will. And I love this passage. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. Um, it, it really is an incredible passage. But if I'm honest with you, and I think if you're honest with me, 
despite the fact that we have a really good kind of formula here, the truth is I still wrestle with sin. That Grinch still exists inside of me. And Paul talks about at the end of Romans 7, uh, sometimes I do the very things that I hate. The things that I know God does not want me to do, I do. So the reality for you and for me is that as long as we're in this life, we're still gonna struggle with this thing called sanctification in the Christian life. So number two on your outline, really what I wanna look at is how should we then live? How do we live the Christian life? Because uh, Howard Hendricks, the, the great professor at Dallas Seminary, he said the problem basically with Romans 12, one and two The problem with a living sacrifice is that we're always trying to crawl back off the altar, right? We're always trying to crawl back off the altar. So how do we do it? Let's take a look at number two on your outline and see if our statement of faith can point us in the right direction. There on the back side of your outline, I've given you uh, the wording from our statement of faith on the responsibility of believers or the Christian life or sanctification. So let's look at this phrase by phrase and see what our statement of faith says about the Christian life. First, it says, we believe, this is under number one, under equip on the back side of your outline, we believe that all believers should seek to walk by the Spirit, not bringing reproach upon their Lord and Savior. Let's pause right here. This is kind of an introductory statement to the Christian life, to the responsibility of a believer. There's a positive element and a negative element here, or what to do and what not to do. Positively, it says we believe that all believers should seek to walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Uh, This particular phrase describes a life that's lived in obedience to and in reliance upon the Holy Spirit. And that's one way, a great way, of describing the Christian life. The Christian life is a walk of reliance upon the Holy Spirit, the one who indwells you. On the negative side, this means we don't bring reproach upon our Lord and Savior. That in the way that we live, remembering that we bear his image, that we are his representatives, we don't live in a way that would bring reproach upon him or bring shame upon his name. So you see, there's a positive element, walk by the Spirit. There's a negative element, what not to do. Don't live in such a way that brings shame upon our Lord. And then it goes on to explain, we believe that all believers should walk by the Spirit, not bringing reproach upon their Lord and Savior, and that separation from worldly pleasures and practices is commanded of God. Separation from worldly pleasures and practices is commanded of God. Now, let's again remember what we're talking about here and what we're not talking about here. We're not saying that the people of the world, unsaved people, are somehow our enemy. Not at all. But rather, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, you could say that in the Bible we have three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The fallen world system in which we live, the flesh, that Grinch that lives inside of me, 
and the devil, a great spiritual enemy who's the one ruling this world. This part of our statement of faith identifies this idea of the fallen world, that we're not to live a life in conformity, if you will, Romans 12, 1 and 2, to the fallen world, but we're to live a life separated from the world. This does not mean, though, that we have no interaction with unbelievers. Please don't take it to mean that. Uh, We are on mission to reach the lost with the gospel, not to separate from them, but to separate from the world. But what else? What else does our statement of faith say about the Christian life? Well, notice the next sentence says, we believe it is the obligation of every believer to witness by life and by word to the truth of Holy Scripture and to seek to proclaim the gospel to all the world. There's kind of two parts here. That our life, first of all, is a witness to the truth of Scripture. By, we ha- by how we live, by what we say, our um, life and our word is to be a testimony to, a witness to the truth of Holy Scripture. That everywhere you go, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, you are a living, breathing, walking, talking reminder of the truth of who God is. This is a heavy responsibility. You represent him and his truth wherever you go. Secondly, it says it's the obligation of every believer to proclaim the gospel to all the world. Again, that's why we're here. This is one of the reasons why God doesn't just take us straight to heaven whenever we become a Christian. We're here to be on mission, to give people a reason for the hope that's within us, to give them the hope of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is, What else? What else does our statement of faith say about the Christian life? Well, notice the last sentence there. We believe that it is the responsibility of all believers to remember the work of the Lord in prayer and to support it, the work of the Lord, with their means as the Lord has prospered them. So the last sentence here in our statement of faith basically says, pray for and give towards the work of the Lord. Not just here at Grace Bible Church, but truly the work of the Lord uh, all around the world. Uh, That in our prayer life and in our financial life, we're to pray for the work of the Lord, support the work of the Lord. Uh, This is why we mention missionaries every week. This is why we have a pastoral prayer. We believe that these are very, very important aspects of the Christian life. We are to do these things corporately and Uh, The Lord, I believe, wants you to do them individually as well. But this is what our statement of faith says regarding the Christian life or the responsibility of believers. And to be completely honest and transparent with you, I don't like this section of our statement of faith. Let me explain why. As I look at how our statement of faith describes the Christian life, it comes across to me as far too checklist-oriented, right? You see that? It's kind of like walk by the Spirit, don't sin too much, uh, share your faith, pray for the church, and give towards the church, right? Do these five things, and you'll be more like Jesus. Um, It's just not that easy. 
It's not this formula. It's not this checklisty. And so thus far, as we've moved through this sermon series, as we've gone week by week through our doctrinal statement, I've simply offered to you minor clarifications and tweaks in our statement of faith. This morning, I'm going to offer to you a proposal that this is that we need to do a wholesale change. Nothing in our current statement of faith is wrong. Everything it says is good. I just think it could be said much better. And so let me offer to you my proposal. Let me be clear. This is Jace Cloud's proposal. Uh, This has not yet been run through the Board of Elders. This has not been and will ultimately be, though, presented to you. But let me offer to you my proposal of what I think the Christian life is. We believe that God commands Christians to love him supremely and to love others sacrificially. This is my introductory statement, taken pretty much directly from Jesus when he was asked what's the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I think it begins there. We believe God commands Christians to love him supremely, to love others sacrificially. Then I move into a statement of our identity, who we are in Christ, in response to what God has already done in our justification, this is then how we should live. Because we are citizens of heaven and new creations in Christ who have been equipped with the armor of God, we are called to live markedly distinct and holy lives, living in the world but no longer of the world, redeemed from the power of the flesh and able to withstand the schemes of the devil. Notice I've listed the world, the flesh, and the devil there. The second part is really how is this done? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, in obedience to the word of God, along with the practice of spiritual disciplines, the believer is enabled to live in conformity to the will of the Father, to become more like our Lord Jesus Christ, and to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Notice Father, Son, and Spirit is included. And then why? We believe that Christians are ambassadors of Christ, God's image bearers in a fallen world, and are called to walk in the good works God prepared for us. It is our responsibility to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples among the nations, and to glorify God in all that we do. Uh, What I like about this statement is it really is rooted in the work God is doing in us, in the reality of our justification, And our sanctification comes from that position. It's not checklisty, and it explains very clearly why this is important, because we are ambassadors and representatives of the one who has saved us. Now, that's my proposal. It's a work in progress. Just like the Christian life, I am a work in progress. You are a work in progress. So this statement of faith is a work in progress. Eventually, it will go before the board of elders and it will come before you and we can talk about it and have a lot of fun. Uh, But it's more important to me that we get this right than that I get my way about how it's said. It's more important to me that we get this right, that we have a statement of faith regarding sanctification that really describes what sanctification the Christian life is, then I just get my way. So we will bring this to you and we'll talk about it. Uh, But number three on your outline, what difference does it make? Why should we even consider 
clarifying, rewriting our statement of faith regarding the Christian life? What difference does the Christian life really make? Ultimately, everything. Because the Christian life is how we do live in conformity to the will of God the Father. The Christian life ultimately is how we're made to be more and more like Jesus. The Christian life ultimately is how the fruit of the Spirit is manifested in us. Sanctification is all about how God sets in motion the wheels to produce in us a new humanity, a new obedience to him. Sanctification is how God works in our nature to bring us in conformity to the image of God, enabling us to live a life that is pleasing to him. Sanctification is the idea that God is not done with you when he saves you, but he insists on crafting you into be a new person. Listen, this for me is so important. It goes ultimately back to the vision for Grace Bible Church. At the beginning of the year, I gave to you the vision that I and the elders have for you, that every single one of you in this room, every single one of you watching online, when you stand before the Lord Jesus, you will hear him say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And the Christian life is ultimately what is preparing us for that day. But like me, like the Grinch, we all still struggle, don't we? This isn't easy. Living a life pleasing to God is is not easy when we still feel the impact of the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's a struggle we all face. And where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life is really in the day-to-day things. This week, I was, I've been rereading a book by John Ortberg called The Life You've Always Wanted. And in the first chapter, he describes this situation that relates to me so well. I want to share it with you. Um, he says, when I look in on my children as they sleep at night, I think of the kind of father I want to be. I want to create moments of magic. I want them to remember laughing until the tears flow. I want to read to them and make books come alive so they love to read. I want to have slow, sweet talks with them as they're getting ready to close their eyes. I want to sing them awake in the morning. I want to chase fireflies with them, teach them to play tennis, have food fights and hold them and pray for them in a way that makes them feel cherished. But I look in on them as they sleep at night and I remember how the day really went. I remember how they were trapped in a fight over checkers and I walked out of the room because I didn't want to spend the energy needed to teach them how to resolve conflict. I remember how my daughter spilled cherry punch at dinner and I yelled at her about being careful as if she had revealed some deep character flaw. I yelled at her even though I spill things all the time and no one yells at me. I yelled at her to tell the truth simply because I'm big and she's little and I can get away with it. And then I saw that look of hurt and confusion in her eyes. And I knew that there was a tiny wound on her heart that I had put there. And I wished I could have taken those 60 seconds back. He says, I remember how at night 
I didn't have slow, sweet talks, but merely rushed the children to bed so I could have more time to myself. He says, I'm disappointed. And it's not just my life as a father, I'm disappointed also for my life as a husband, friend, neighbor, and human being in general. I'm disappointed that I still love God so little and sin so much. He says, these are just some of the disappointments. I have other darker ones that I'm not ready to commit to paper and I'm disappointed at my lack of disappointment. And then he asks, where does this disappointment come from? The feeling of disappointment, he says, is not the problem, but a reflection of a deeper problem. My failure to be the person God had in mind when he created me. And that really is a great description of the Christian life. The Christian life is our struggle. But the Christian life, God's work in the Christian life, is how he recreates us to be the person he created us to be. Romans 12, the Christian life, the life of of sanctification is about how God works in us to recreate in us the person he had in mind when he created us. Or I like how Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, said it. He said, now with the help of God, I shall become myself. Now with the help of God, I shall become myself. You can jot down 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Another guy by the name of Maximus the Confessor. What an incredible name is that. Maximus the Confessor. I have been called a lot of things by less than sanctified people. I've never been called Jace the Confessor. Um, Maximus the Confessor said this, Christ has given us an entirely new way to be human. Christ has given us an entirely new way to be human. And that really is the Christian life. So back to the Grinch. You know how the story goes. Uh, In the middle part of the story, the Grinch sneaks into Whoville. He steals all of the Christmas decorations and all the Christmas presents. He climbs back up to the top of the mountain where his house is, and he hopes to hear coming from Whoville the sound of all the Who's crying and lamenting that now Christmas is ruined. So the story says he paused. And the Grinch put his hand to his ear, and he did hear a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. But the sound wasn't sad. Why, this sound sounded merry. It couldn't be so, but it was merry, very. He stared down at Whoville, the Grinch popped his eyes, then he shook. What he saw was a shocking surprise. Every Who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came somehow or other. It came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? 
It came without ribbons, it came without tags, it came without boxes, packages, or bags, and he puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. Like the Grinch, we need our heart to grow, to be transformed, to be changed, to be sanctified. And the Christian life, sanctification, is about how God grows our heart to love him, to love others, to be the people he intends for us to be. And praise God, he doesn't leave us as we are, but he recreates us, reforms us, sanctifies us to be the people he created us to be. So let's be those people. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your ongoing work in our life. Father, we confess that we still struggle. I still struggle. We all still struggle with the Christian life. We constantly want to do our own thing. We want to live according to our will, not according to your will. We're constantly wrestling with the world, the flesh, and the devil. We confess that we're not the parents or the children you intend for us to be. We're not the employees that you intend for us to be. Ultimately, we're not the worshipers that you intend us to be. So Father, we thank you for your ongoing work in our life. We thank you that you don't leave us as we are, but that you create in us a new heart. You increase our love for you and for one another. And so Father, help us. We beg, we implore Because of your mercies, help us ultimately to be more like Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.